Welcome to A Bigger Life, where you can break through the distractions, stop, listen, and speak to God in prayer. I'm Dave Cover. I want to help you use the Bible as your conversation with God so you can live a bigger life. Today we're going to look at Psalm 28. It's another Psalm of David. You know, the more I read the Psalms, the more I realize that if they're any kind of a guide of how we are to come to God, how we're supposed to approach God, then I think it's a guide that we need to come to God perhaps more emotionally needy and even desperate. I think in some ways that we lose emotional control sometimes in our speech, in our relationships, in our in our horizontal lives, the lives we live with the, the, the situations at work, situations in family, situations driving in a car or shopping or whatever it is, social media. Sometimes we lose emotional control in those situations because we keep too much emotional control in our vertical life, in our prayer with God. And I think that one of the things that at least I'm recognizing as I read through the Psalms of David is learning to cast my emotions unto God is an important need to to be emotional with God. I think if I control my emotions with God, I tend to not control them as well in my other relationships. God is the one relationship where I really can be emotional and even lose emotional control. We can be emotionally dramatic even with God. And that's because David was. Even when you read the story of David when he fought Goliath in 1 Samuel 17, it's very emotional language. He took it personally, emotionally, when Goliath was taunting the armies of Israel. He saw it as taunting God. And he he speaks in language that's very poetic in that encounter. And I think that's one of the reasons why God chose him as one of the premier authors of the Psalms. Or we might even say it this way if we take in the full sovereignty of God. It's a reason why God created David, was to create the Psalms. Because David was such an emotionally expressive person. He had emotional, vividly picturesque language. And that's perfect for poetry. And it's something that God wanted to use in the Psalms, I think in some very real sense, to teach us how to pray, teach us how to come before God. Because we do have these emotional lives. And even if we don't express it, that is still there. The reality is still is still there. So do you seek God in such a way where it you, you speak emotional language, dramatic language? So let me read, for example, the first, oh, uh, let's say uh, two verses here. To you, O Lord, I call my rock. Be not deaf to me, lest if you be silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit Hear the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cry to you for help, when I lift up my hands toward your most holy sanctuary. Now, if somebody came up and talked to you that way, maybe a kid, one of your kids, you would think they're being overly dramatic, and probably so. But in a very real sense, uh, you know, even though it is poetry and it is the Bible, I think we can learn to speak this way more with God because it forces us to come in contact with our real emotional state. It forces us to sort of, in some sense, become more aware 
of our emotions. I don't know about you. I'm the kind of person that I'm seldom aware of my emotions until they sort of blow up and, 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 and then I become aware in an embarrassing way. And I think that learning how to come to God more emotionally will help us have more balanced emotional lives. If we can unload on God, then we don't unload in our marriages. We don't unload at our families or at work. David says, to you, Yahweh, the all capital L-O-R-D, that's the Hebrew name for God, the I am. Literally, it's the Hebrew verb, he is. To you, he is, I call my rock. Be not deaf to me. This is obviously picturesque language. Be not deaf to me is a very emotional, picturesque, poetic way of saying, listen to me. But be not deaf to me has this emotional sense, God, don't be deaf when I talk to you, lest if you be silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. Think of that phrase, highly imaginative. It takes imagination to really catch what David is saying. When David says, lest if you be silent, I become like those who go down to the pit. What image do you think David has in mind? What's the pit? So he's thinking about his surroundings, and there were these holes in the ground that were cisterns. Maybe that's the pit that David is talking about, like the cistern that Joseph was put in by his brothers in Genesis. Or maybe it's some other cave or something like that, but it's a dark place. It's a place that is not a good place to be. And David is using that word picture as a description of how he would feel and how he does feel if God is not listening to his prayer, if God is being, to use his poetic language, deaf to him, he needs God to hear him, and he needs God in some way to help him see that he's having a conversation with God. So he says in verse 2, Hear the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cry to you for help, when I lift up my hands toward your most holy sanctuary. Now, what David is using there is this bodily language of lifting up his hands toward God, of crying to God for help, of his voice of a plea for mercy. David is not being self-righteous here. He's being very honest about his need, desperate need for God to have mercy on him. And I think in a very real sense, when we learn to speak this way to God, this emotional language, this language that shows that we are emotionally needy of God. We need him to hear our prayer. We're pleading with him for mercy. We're crying to him for help. We're lifting up our hands to him as if reaching out to him in need. That kind of language, that kind of bodily language wakes us up from our own lethargic soul. It's easy for us to be lethargic toward God, sort of stoic, sort of not emotional, not bodily lifting our hands. Now, we'll do that at football games or basketball games or other things that we're excited about. It's easy for us to express ourselves emotionally. It's easy for us to express ourselves bodily with those kinds of horizontal realities in our life. But for some reason, when we start coming to God, the creator of the universe, our creator, the one who is truly our greatest need, we just start folding our arms and get quiet. I think that's a dysfunction. It's out of balance. So one thing the Psalms are to me is an example of the kind of language I can use and even encourage myself to learn to use, and even physical expressions when I come to God. 
So David says in verse 3, Do not drag me off with the wicked, with the workers of evil who speak peace with their neighbors while evil is in their heart. Again, this highly picturesque language. Use your imagination. Do not drag me off with the wicked, with the workers of evil who speak peace with their neighbors while evil is in their hearts. Now, David just said in verse 2, Hear my voice, hear the voice of my pleas for mercy. He's praying for God's mercy and God's help that God would not drag him off with the wicked. Now, I think if we were in touch with our lives in an honest way, we would admit that we deserve to be dragged off with the wicked. David is praying for mercy. David is praying for God to help him. On the other hand, David is also being obviously in some way tormented by such people who speak peace with him while evil is in their hearts. This is not the first time we've read this in the Psalms. In past episodes, we've looked at verses like this. People who work evil, even though they speak peace, their face is one of friendship, but they have intentions of harm. And that's what's happening here with David. But I think when I read these kinds of verses, Not only can I relate completely because we all have people like this in our lives, but also I want to ask myself, am I this kind of person? Because I can get swept up in some sense in being this kind of person. It's culturally normal to pretend to be somebody's friend and take advantage of that relationship for my own self-advancement, even to their, in some way, their disadvantage. And I think workplaces are like this. I think friendships can be like this. We end up focusing on people's negatives. We end up focusing on their flaws. We end up focusing on the things that are negative in their lives. And once we start focusing on that, it's almost like we can't get our mind off of it. And we start talking about them negatively to other people. And it becomes this toxic kind of relationship that we're doing. We act like we're good people. We act like we're somebody's friend, and then we'll talk bad about them with somebody else. That's that's the kind of thing David is talking about here. They speak peace with their neighbors while evil is in their hearts. I don't want to be that kind of person. I want to be the kind of person that just focuses on people's positives. It's so easy. It doesn't take any insight or wisdom at all to see people's negatives. That's dime a dozen We all have them. They're so easy to spot. It doesn't take any genius to see them and talk about them. I want to be higher than that. I want to be better than that. What's rare is simply to see people's strengths, their positives, and only focus on that. Be the kind of person who not only speaks peace with my neighbor, but I just see the good in my neighbor. I see their positives. I see their strengths. And I only let my mind dwell on those kinds of things. The next couple of verses, David is asking God to fight his enemies. He's asking God to take care of his enemies so that they don't defeat him and in some way get the better of him. He needs God to fight his battles. So verses 4 and 5 is asking God to do that. And then he gets in verse 6. David always ends up correcting his narrative to reality. The reality of God's promise. The reality of God's presence. The reality of God's redemptive purpose in his life. And we should try to do the same thing. We should try to bring ourselves to declaring the truth of God's faithfulness, the truth of God's promise, the real narrative that our life is in because God has become person and the human person of Jesus, and he has lived a life to redeem us. He has died for us on the cross. He has broken through the other side of death. He has become the human Messiah who is leading 
a new world by his resurrection and the resurrection to come for the world and for us. This is the narrative our life is in because the gospel is true, because Jesus rose from the dead, and we need to bring our lives back into that narrative. And that's one of the purposes of prayer. It's one of the purposes of coming to God. We can be completely honest about how we feel. We can be emotionally needy in our expression to God. Eventually, we want to come to where we're putting ourselves back into the correct narrative. Blessed be Yahweh. Blessed be the I Am. For he has heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. Pleading for mercy helps me appreciate others in spite of their flaws. Because when I plea for mercy, I'm having to recognize my need of God's mercy, that I don't deserve his blessing. I don't deserve his work in my life. It's all by his mercy and his grace. And if I rehearse the reasons in my life why I need his mercy, it helps me be merciful toward others and their flaws and their weaknesses, even in their sins against me, even when they speak peace to me, but have evil intentions in their heart, which happens, that I would be a person who's merciful, that I would be a person who's forgiving because I know I have a lot, maybe more, that needs to be forgiven by God. And there's that phrase, forgiven people forgive. People who have received mercy are merciful. So David says in verse 7, the Lord is my strength and my shield. Again, very poetic language. Takes our imagination to fully picture what David is saying. God is my strength. God is my shield. And David was a warrior. The shield was a huge part of his life to protect his life from, from arrows, to protect his life from sword. The Lord is his shield. He says, the Lord is my shield and my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts and I am helped. My heart exalts. With my song I give thanks to him. I think just saying these kinds of things out loud even to God in prayer does what it is that we're saying. I think if I say to God, you are my strength, you are my shield. In you my heart trusts. My heart exalts And with my song, I give thanks to you. When I say these kinds of things, almost the therapy is in the words spoken. I think that's what David is saying here. And I have found over the years that when I can actually say these kinds of things out loud, you have heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. You are the one to be praised. You are my strength. You are my shield. My heart trusts in you, and I am helped, and my heart exalts in you. And with my song, I give thanks to you. If I say those things, it actually starts doing in my heart and doing in my soul and my thoughts what I'm saying. I don't know what you're like in church when there's music, when there's singing. Are you one like me? I like to just listen. I rarely sing to my own detriment because I think there's a power in actually singing the words. And the best times I've had in worship is when I just hit that switch inside my head and I just say, you know, I'm going to sing these words. And in the singing, it starts doing in me what the song is about. I think there's a real power in singing in worship. We can sing on our own when we're with God. We don't need to be in church. We can learn songs, and we can play songs, and we can sing songs to God. And when I say play, I mean like on our iPhone or something. And we can listen and sing with the song in praise to God. David says, with my song, I shall give thanks to him. There's a power in singing, and David knew the power well. 
Verse 8, the Lord is the strength of his people. He is the saving refuge of his anointed. Oh, save your people and bless your heritage. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. This is a great psalm, even though it may not be a psalm that has any kind of huge new information in it that we haven't seen in other psalms. It's a great psalm that shows us just how to have a time of prayer, a time where we praise God, a time where we express our need for God, a time where we ask for his mercy, a time where we re-narrate our lives back into the promises of the gospel, a time where we actually engage our lives, engage our heart, engage our mouth, engage our minds in praise and thanksgiving and trust in his promises. So let's do that now. Let's take a moment here and pray Psalm 28. Would you pray with me and see what I'm talking about when we bring this psalm into our own souls? To you, O Lord, to you, Yahweh, I call. I call. I call to you. You are my rock. You are the one that I stand on with my solid foundation that can't be moved. You are the cave that I hide in, and you are my refuge. In you, in you alone is my refuge. In you alone am I safe, and I take refuge in you because you are my rock. Be not deaf to me. Lest if you be silent, I become like those who go down to the pit. When I think of being trapped in a pit, how depressing, how dark, how without light, without joy, without love and laughter, without hope, it's a pit and it's dark and it's small and it's closed in. And in so many ways, In my life, I close myself in by thinking small, by forgetting who you are, by forgetting this big, large context of what my life is in, and instead I'm just looking two feet in front of me and feeling trapped. I think that's a little bit what going down to the pit is. Lord, if you are silent, if you don't pour out your Holy Spirit on me and open my eyes and help me see more and more who you are for me and who you are in the God that created me, the God of glory, the God of beauty, the God of transcendence, the God of power, the God of steadfast love and mercy and grace, the God of joy the God of gladness, that you are the God who brings me into the largesse of who you are and brings me into the largeness of your universe. And my life does not have to be trapped in this small two-by-two pit of hopelessness, of myself and selfness. I can come out of the pit of selfness and experience the joy of my life being in your presence and that you are with me 100% and you are focused on me 100%, and I lift up my hands to you. I, I, I plead to you for mercy, mercy for all the ways that I don't believe your promises, mercy for forgetting you in most of the hours of my day, mercy in living my life as if I'm self-sufficient, mercy for talking to people in ways that discount their value to you and talking to them in ways that discount your sacrificial love for them as their father. I don't see them the same way you see them, and yet you are so merciful to me, and you are my father, and you forgive me, 
and yet I'm not that way toward others. Forgive me. Have mercy on me. I cry to you for help, and I lift up my hands to you right now. I lift up my hands and reach out to you because I need you. You are the God of my life. You are the God who gives me life. You are the God who holds my life in your hand. And I live moment by moment, minute by minute, only by your gift, only by your grace, only by your mercy. Every moment of my life is dependent upon you, the author of life. And I pray that you would give me eternal life with you. I lift up my hands to you. I cry to you for help. I plead to you for mercy. Do not be silent to me. Bring me out of the pit. Do not drag me off with the wicked, with the workers of evil. Have mercy on me. Even though I deserve to be dragged off, I pray that you would be gracious to me and that you would forgive me. Wash me. Cleanse me. Redeem me. Bring my life out of the pit and raise me up to joy and gladness, and love, and light, and glory, and purpose, and meaning. Blessed be you, Yahweh. Praise be to you. For you hear the voice of my pleas for mercy. You hear me when I call. You are my strength. You are my shield, my protection, my fortress, In you, my heart trusts. I trust your word is faithful. I trust your promises are true. I trust in your works of your hands, that you have put your hands on the cross with nails in them, and you have died for me, and you have risen for me, and you are coming back for me on this earth to bring your heaven back to earth, your resurrection back to my body, your restoration back to this creation. And so I give praise to you. You are my shield. In you, my heart trusts. And I am helped even now because I re-narrate my life right now in that true and bigger story that my life is in. My heart exalts because my life is in that bigger story that you have done, the works of your hands. And with my mouth and with my song, I give thanks to you for all that you have done. I give thanks to you for all that you are doing in my life, even right now that I don't see, ways even right now that you are my strength that I don't see, ways even right now that you are my shield that I don't see, you are my rock that I don't see, you are my saving refuge even now in ways that I don't see. You are the strength of your people, and you are my strength, and you are my saving refuge. Save me, O God. Heal me. Restore me and bless me. I give praise to you for the inheritance I have in Christ. Be my shepherd and carry me forever. Be my good shepherd and lead me and guide me and sustain me and strengthen me and carry me in your arms forever and ever in your universe, in your plan, in your restored creation, in a resurrected body, in your presence, I will dwell and you will dwell with me forever. And I give praise to you and I give thanks to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to A Bigger Life, a podcast of The Crossing, a church in Columbia, Missouri. 
If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and give it a rating so people can find this content more easily or consider texting it to a friend or posting it on social media. Thanks for listening.